From WUFTFM, this is Animal Airwaves Live, our weekly hour-long show devoted to the discussion of the health and welfare of animals. I'm Dana Hill, and I'm so glad that you've tuned in here on this Friday when my guest from the UF College of Veterinary Medicine is Dr. Meg Sleeper. And we're going to be talking today about cardiovascular disease in horses, which is less common than it is in you or me or even in our pets. But when it does affect horses, it can have a pretty bad effect, especially in horses that do work, vigorous work like, I don't know, sport. And we're going to find out all about it right now. And uh, Dr. Sleeper, let me welcome you back to the program. I'm really glad to have you here. Thank you for talking with me today. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I cited here at the top of the show that cardiovascular disease in horses is less common than it is in people. We know that in human beings, cardiovascular disease is one of the leading causes of death. It is maybe not the leading cause of death in horses, I'm guessing? No, it's actually fairly uncommon in horses. Actually, in large animal species like cattle and and horses in general, heart disease is fairly uncommon because they evolved as work animals with humans, so they really weren't bred if they um, had issues and weren't productive. Um, so that really has led to heart disease being fairly rare in, in those species. But um, it's actually, I think, more common than most people realize. Um, and it can be catastrophic, of course. Um, a horse is often a 1,000 pounds or more. And um, just standing next to a horse that has for example, a fainting event or collapses because of heart disease is could very easily injure and, and potentially even kill the handler. So um, in some ways, it's, it's much more of a concern in horses compared to somebody's pet, small dog or cat that can't necessarily hurt, physically hurt their owner. Um, obviously, there's the emotional uh, part of it that's going to be terrible for the owner, no matter whether it, it, we're talking about a dog or a cat or a horse. Um, but the physical part of it is is actually a really big factor that a lot of times people don't think about. And that's one of the big concerns when we're looking at horses to make sure that um, not only are they safe to be around, but what are the risks for people that may want to ride them? I see what you mean. How much does a horse weigh? So the average horse is about 1,000 pounds. Um and then that, of course, can get up to 2,000 pounds if we're talking about draft horses, uh, so Clydesdales and those kinds of breeds. And actually, even uh, the Wormbloods are the big horses that are used for a, a lot of sport that many people are now watching at the World Equestrian Center or uh, the various hits and different um, venues we have in this area. Um, those horses can often get to 1,600 pounds. Um, so they're they're really big and um, it, that kind of weight can, can cause a lot of damage. Uh, indeed. Uh, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Now, do we know of instances in which uh, riders or handlers have been injured uh, by horses that have, say, collapsed? Oh, yes. I mean, sadly, for sure, that's, um, that, that's a big risk in horses that have heart disease. Um, so the kind of, I guess, most common examples that people might think about would be horses on the racetrack where um, exercise riders or jockeys have been killed by horses collapsing um, or having even sudden death during a during a race um, or while preparing for races. And the same things happen with um, sport horses doing three-day eventing or jumping or, or even things that may not seem as strenuous, such as um, flat riding, trail riding, or, or dressage, 
those horses, if they do collapse, um, depending on how they fall, there there isn't necessarily any time for the the person to get out of the way. <laughs> right. It's uh, it's one thing to crash your bicycle, which is never fun. Uh, it's another thing yeah. to have a horse fall on you. So. Uh, that is a, a good reason to be concerned, but also, as you say, I mean, these horses are important to the people who own them and the people who care for them, and I have very little experience with the horse, but the little experience that I do have with a horse suggests to me that it is possible for people to form a bond with a horse that is quite close and based on trust in a way in a way that you don't necessarily need to trust your cat um, right uh, I once rode a horse in a place that was uh, a little bit rugged right it was sort of a recreational kind of thing and I had virtually no I had no riding experience really and this horse just took me on its back kind of no questions asked. And I just had to trust it not to jump off a cliff into the sea. And you know what? It uh, it did what I asked it to do. It, it did not harm either of us. And in that way, I can see how, you know, I, even in that moment, I could see that, you know, people who have these horses that they care for and that really in a, in a lot of ways care for them too, you'd form a strong relationship. So you want to make sure that your horse is in its best health. But as we're about to discuss heart disease can happen, even if it's not especially common. So maybe we can begin with some of the common cardiovascular ailments that horses can experience. We know that with people, it can include things like what? Um, uh, hypertension, um, high cholesterol and so forth, right? Um, uh, Murmurs and so forth, tachycardia or what have you. What can horses experience? So, um, the, and I, just going back to what you said very briefly, but I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, horses, there, there is that added bit of, you know, will this horse carry me over this terrain and not dump me somewhere? Um, but I think with any animal, um, and I, I not only work on horses, I also compete horses. So I have a lot of experience just being around them. But I think every animal that you spend some time with, it's it's amazing the ability to bond with them and have the same kind of deep relationship that people have with their dog or their cat. It, it's a little different, obviously, because you're also going to be riding them in a, in a way that you wouldn't have that necessarily same relationship with a small animal. But um, I know people that feel the same kind of bond with their ferret or their rat, Um and I think it's one of the amazing things with animals is truly they have personalities if you give them the time to work with them, and um, and they become a part of the family, and horses are no different. So sorry to go backwards on that, but um, as far as heart disease in horses, uh, diseases that are congenital, so things that horses would be born with and, and then uh, potentially would impact their ability to survive and, and be functional um, can occur just as they can in, in children and in dogs and cats or puppies and kittens, but fairly uncommon. Um, and most often they will have fairly obvious symptoms that would 
allow an owner to recognize there's an issue and, and, and a veterinarian would likely be involved. Um, as adults, the most common forms of heart diseases that, that horses would develop would be acquired valve disease, so very similar to dogs, actually. Um, that's really the most common form of heart disease that horses get. They don't develop the coronary disease the way humans do, so cholesterol is, is not typically a problem in horses. Um, however, they can develop high blood pressure, so that is not as common as in humans, but it is definitely something that has been reported in horses, and, and uh, I think the more people look, the more we recognize that they have some diseases that you know, for years they just weren't really evaluated as, as closely as some of the other species. Um, and then tachycardia is a possibility. I would put that under an umbrella called arrhythmias. So there are certain arrhythmias that, that horses are predisposed to that can impact their performance or um, also their quality of life. And and that would be the other most common form of acquired heart disease. So I would say valve disease or arrhythmias would be most common. And then they can uh, have toxicities that develop if they're exposed to certain toxins or um, even things that are used for as supplements in other species can be toxic in horses and, and lead to heart disease or heart damage, um, certain vegetation if they eat, which they usually wouldn't eat unless they had nothing else available, but th that can cause toxicities. So they can also develop heart muscle disease because of some of these other other exposures. I want to just kind of here near the top of the show, ask a question and maybe use human beings as an analogy. And when we think about people in heart disease, it is often the case that heart disease can be the result or can come can kind of go hand in hand with a certain um, you know lack of fitness or other you know lack of um, good health or what have you. Is that the case with horses? It's actually not very common with horses. Um, so the the kind of um, risk factors that we think of with humans, such as smoking and um, obesity and, and certain diets, um, those tend to affect the basically the coronaries that supply oxygen and, and nutrition to the heart muscle. And that's part of what leads to coronary disease. And then, of course, there are genetic factors, too. Of course, horses don't have exposure to a lot of those things. They're, they're vegetarians obligate, they're herbivores, so they, they don't have the dietary issues that a lot of humans have. Um, and their their lifestyle in general, I mean, as long as they're, certainly if they're a performance horse, but if they're kept out in pasture, they're usually not necessarily um, having obesity issues, although that certainly can be a problem in some horses with certain diseases such as metabolic syndrome or um other other issues that develop as they get older. Um, however, it usually doesn't impact the heart very much. It has a, it causes other disease problems in in those horses. Okay, so valve diseases and arrhythmias are the most common that you would see. I wonder if we can talk a little bit here before we take our first break about how 
one would go about diagnosing some of these. Let's just maybe start with 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 valve disease, if we're going to uh, talk about some of the bigger ones. Um, how would you go about diagnosing this? And what would be the first clue that something might be amiss? Maybe that's a good place to start. How would somebody, maybe a horse's trainer or owner, how would a person become aware that there is potentially something wrong? So I think the first stage um, would really be, hopefully, a veterinarian would evaluate the horse. Um, Generally, horses, just like dogs and cats, for routine health care should be vaccinated for certain diseases. Um, particularly actually in Florida, there are a lot of um, mosquito-mortem diseases that horses are predisposed to that are very easily avoided with appropriate vaccination. So when horses are vaccinated, and sometimes owners do these vaccines themselves, but optimally a veterinarian is doing a physical exam once a year. Um, And that's because the first sign of, for example, valve disease would be the ability to hear a heart murmur, so a, an extra sound associated with the typical lub-dub heart sounds that we think about um, as far as in ourselves or in our dog, for example. Um, so that murmur could could be there for quite a long time before there are ever any other signs that would be picked up um, by an owner. Um, one of the things that's challenging in horses, and this is actually kind of ironically really similar to cats, <laughs> is that they can develop what are called flow or benign or physiologic murmurs that are not actually because of valve disease. So they're not pathology. They don't impact the horse's ability to perform or his heart to pump. Um, But they're sounds that can be heard that can be very similar to sounds that occur because of valve disease. Now, there's some clues, and um, I think many veterinary cardiologists can differentiate the two, um, but it's not always very easy to tell just on physical exam. Um, and that's one of the reasons I think murmurs and horses can be challenging. Um, it's, it's sometimes difficult to know how significant it really is just with a physical exam. So um, then with an, uh, an arrhythmia, is it the case too that it would be challenging to know with um, with any sort of exam, I mean, or would it be discernible to someone who takes care of a horse, whether there was a problem with an arrhythmia? So an arrhythmia is, is just an irregularity in the heart rhythm. So there are some arrhythmias or irregularities that would be considered normal in the horse. So, for example, horses can normally have a rhythm called second-degree AV block, where occasional uh, heartbeats don't go all the way through the ventricles, uh, all, all the way through the heart. They get stopped partway through, and it causes a, a little period where there's um, a pause. There's, there's just not a, a heartbeat that, that you would expect. Um, and that irregularity is, is considered within normal limits um, in the horse. And if he were to move around or perhaps get excited, it would go away. It's just because the horse is very calm and relaxed. Um, so that would be an arrhythmia that's normal. And most veterinarians can identify that type of rhythm just by listening. And I think owners certainly can too. It's just a matter of practicing and listening. Um, but there are some irregularities that are always going to be abnormal. And those can, I think, with 
a little bit of experience can be detected. Um, again, it's just the, the fact that the rhythm itself is irregular. And if an owner is listening, and I think a lot of horse owners have stethoscopes and are used to checking the heart rate, um, listening for an irregularity is actually a pretty useful thing to do. Um, it, they may not be able to tell if it's an abnormal one or not, but but it would be a reason to have a veterinarian take a listen. Here's a kind of a naive question. If one were to want to hear a horse's heartbeat, where do you put the stethoscope? So you can actually hear it on both sides of the, of the chest, right behind the elbow. So if you're thinking of where a saddle sits on the horse's back and the girth goes down around uh, the trunk, right behind the front legs, where the girth kind of is, is right behind that, that foreleg is where you hear the heartbeat the strongest. It's always going to be loudest on the left side, just as in in humans when we put our hand over our heart with the um, Pledge of Allegiance, the flag, the heart is slightly to the left. So it's going to be a little bit louder on the left side when we listen. Um, it's also interesting, horses, because they have a lot of musculature, you often need to push the stethoscope underneath the tricep muscle, which is that muscling at the top of that foreleg a little bit to really hear it at, at its loudest. It can be a little bit quieter right behind that tricep muscle. Um, and the heart's quite big in a horse, so you have to listen over a few different rib spaces to really be able to get a, a complete examination. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the heart itself. I don't know how big the heart is in a human being, but I've heard it's roughly the size of a person's fist. Uh, is there a comparison that you can make in a horse? That's a great question, and I'm not sure I can actually answer it very well. There's a lot of variation between the breeds. Um, I, but I will say one of the things that I think is so amazing about horses is their athletic ability. And a large part of that is because of their heart size. And, of course, the thoroughbred racehorse is, is the, the, the breed that we've has evolved over time to be probably the most athletic horse certainly as far as speed. Um, and to give you the, the, what I usually will tell owners, because I, I think it, it's just amazing when you think about it this way, for each heartbeat, um, a heart, a horse, the thoroughbred racehorse, is pumping out of his left ventricle, so to his body, a little bit more than a liter. So basically with each heartbeat, that's, Think about a liter bottle of water, soda. It's about a liter and maybe a quarter. So that much with each heartbeat. And when they're working maximally, their heart rate's usually around 220 or 230. So they're pumping with each minute about 230 to 250 liters of blood. Um, and it, that, I think, is mind-blowing how much volume of blood they can pump. It really is. Um, it re That really yeah. is. And, and well, and it's necessary, of course, because what? The blood is taking the oxygen to all the parts of the body that need it. So it the horse needs to be moving that much blood, right? Uh, yes. 
can we talk just a little bit, and, and we do have to take a break, but I, I want to, before we take a break, I want to talk a little bit just about the structure of the heart. And this might be true for many mammals in general, but can you just descri- describe the structure of the horse's heart so that we're all sort of on the same page? Sure. And you're absolutely right. All mammals have the same basic structure. So there are two chambers that basically collect the blood that's returning from either the lungs or from the body. Um, So it's sort of a a collection chamber where then that blood from the atria, those chambers are called atria, uh, the blood then drains into the ventricles. So the right ventricle is the the chamber that pumps blood to the lungs, and the left ventricle is the the chamber that pumps blood to the body. Um, So, and then the blood from the body returns to the to the right atrium, the blood from the lungs returns to the left atrium. So the atria just are collection chambers. The ventricles are doing the majority of the, of the work. Um, yeah, and, and as far as size, the left ventricle in, a, in a, the internal diameter in a um, thoroughbred, for example, is usually a, about 12 centimeters, 12 to 13 centimeters, which I'd, I'd have to try to calculate that into inches, but probably looking at five to six inches. So just the um, internal diameter. So the heart compared to a human is much, much bigger. And it's one of the reasons horses are such athletes and able to perform the things that they do. Yeah, I'm not going to feel bad anymore about my lack of ability. I just don't. I just don't have a, a big enough heart. Um, let's take a <laughs> break right now, and we're going to come back, and we've got a lot more to talk about. I want to remind listeners that this is Animal Airwaves Live here on WUFT FM. My guest today from the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine is Dr. Meg Sleeper. We're talking about heart problems in horses, and we'll be back with more right after this. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Animal Airwaves Live. I'm Dana Hill. My guest today from the UF College of Veterinary Medicine is Dr. Meg Sleeper, and we're talking about heart problems in horses. In the first part of the program, we'd kind of learned a few things. One, just sort of how the heart is structured in a horse, about how big it is, and we've learned as well that some of the more common heart diseases in horses would include, say, valve disease or arrhythmias. That's how these problems can present commonly, though heart disease in horses is certainly less common than it is in human beings. But I wonder, Dr. Sleeper, right now, if we can talk a little bit about some of these problems specifically. And uh, maybe we can start with a a question like, what does it mean to hear a murmur in a horse? Yeah, so I I think that's a really common question for a lot of um, people that maybe want to purchase a horse or, or have their own horse that they're riding. So, um, and that's one of the common reasons why I might be asked to evaluate a horse. Somebody wants to buy a horse and, and the veterinarian maybe hears a murmur. So the, the question is how, how uh, significant is that murmur? Does it matter? So some murmurs in horses will be benign, and it's actually quite common that horses have these what are called slow murmurs. And, and part of this goes back to what we were just talking about before the break, the horse heart is very, very large. So that volume of blood, when it's pumping across um, the valves and um, 
draining into the different chambers, it can be associated with producing a sound that is just because this large volume of blood either decelerates quickly or slows down quickly, or it's crossing these, basically their pipes, the aorta and the pulmonary artery, these large vessels. Um, And that can be associated with a sound we can hear. Those kinds of murmurs are not significant for the horse. They don't impact the function of the heart. Um, They tend to be murmurs that may come and go depending on the heart rate. And they also tend to be murmurs that don't necessarily fill an entire part of the heart cycle. So for example, during systole, the ventricles, the pumping chambers of the heart are pushing blood out. During diastole, those two chambers are relaxed and they're just filling. So most murmurs associated with, for example, a valve leak will fill all of diastole or all of systole, whereas the benign murmurs often just make up a portion of systole or diastole. That's unfortunately with biology. There's never a um, a uh, you can't make the statement. It's always going to be one or the other. It, if it's this, therefore always that. Um, but that's a fairly good clue to know whether it's going to be pathology or benign. Yeah. Okay. So that. That can be something to be concerned about. Um, when you need to, when you need to really f- investigate that, um, I mean, there's is there any sort of definitive way to know? Yeah. So actually, uh, one of the amazing things over the last probably twenty years um, is the ultrasound technology has progressed incredibly quickly in human medicine as well as in veterinary medicine. And we're now able to really image the heart beautifully in horses. So we can um, measure exactly how large the walls are of the walls of the heart, the the heart chambers. We can look at the valves. We can see if there's a valve leak. Um, We can assess function of the valves. So echocardiography or ultrasound of the heart allows very definitive assessment of heart function. Um, and is a way to to definitively know how significant a murmur is. And when when you're doing uh, some diagnostic imaging like that, is that a, a invasive thing? Are you able to do that safely where the horse is, or do you need to take the horse somewhere? So there are some people that have portable ultrasound machines that are able to go to a barn to do that kind of exam. Um, I, I think, personally, that is often a, a, a challenging way to have it done, just because uh, barns often are not as controlled, so it's often kind of bright. It may be difficult to get some of the imaging um, as clear as we'd like to get a, a real definitive echo. Um, it, sometimes it's the only way we can do it, because horses are not as easy to move as um a Yorkie or a small dog where you can put them in a car. But um, but the machines that are the most powerful are also fairly big, so they're just not as portable. But, but it's certainly something that could be done now in barns. Um, most often it would be at a referral-type center. So, for example, here at UF, um, there's certainly other large 
animal hospitals that can perform that kind of test as well. Um, and it would basically just be taking the horse in for that exam. They, they would be done standing. Um, the, the horse stands generally just with somebody holding them so they're not moving too much. But um, we don't typically need to sedate them at all. In fact, sedation would potentially impact the heart function a little bit. We want full fully to assess how the heart is pumping. Um, so we do it with them standing. And, and horses, just like dogs and cats, often tolerate it super well. And, um, you know, as we all have great relationships with these animals, they usually trust us pretty well and, and they don't they don't get upset at all. So it's, it's usually a fairly straightforward test. Let, let us say then that you needed to find a treatment for an animal in this situation. Let's say you had taken, or uh, let us, let's do this. Let's say that you had done some diagnostic imaging. You had determined indeed that there is a problem, that whatever it is, is not as benign as you'd hoped. And it does require some treatment. Are there medical treatments available or do more invasive options uh, need to be considered? So for valve disease, um, particularly if we're talking about valve disease, there are really not in any invasive uh, possibilities in, in horses. There are for small animals sometimes, um, but but horses that that's actually not really possible. So what that leaves us with is medical management, which can absolutely be effective. Um, however, it's generally going to be used most commonly in horses that are at in pretty advanced stages of heart disease, generally what we would call congestive heart failure. Um, horses develop congestive heart failure just like dogs can and people can. Um, and they respond well often to medication. The the things that are different in horses, again, um, mostly stem from the fact that they're performance animals. So once a horse has been in heart failure, even if the owner does choose to treat them with medical management. And I've had some owners treat their horses for two or three years after they've been in heart failure. They've been diagnosed with heart failure, um, but they would be retired. Uh, we generally at that stage would not consider them safe to be ridden. Um, and also it's probably not optimal for, for them to be in, in that kind of work either at that stage of their disease. So that ends up being another kind of difference with small animals. There, there are not, there's some owners that can't keep a, a pet horse that is, is um, basically retired and needs to be on medications the rest of his or her life. So there are not as many horses that we treat in that stage of disease, but we certainly do have medications that we can. Yeah. I mean, how do those medications work? So actually the medications are, very similar to what are used in human medicine and small animal medicine. Typically, once horses develop congestive heart failure, they would be on a diuretic treatment. Um, for example, Lasix is a common one used in humans and dogs. Um, we use that in horses, but in horses orally, it's not available. So we can do it by injection. We can give it intravenously when they're initially very sick. Um, but we can't give it by pills because they, it's not very effective that way. So there's another related drug that we often will use instead um, when they need to be on pills for long term. 
And then the medication, uh, there, there's a class of drug called ACE inhibitors um, that are used very commonly in humans for high blood pressure as well as for um, heart disease. We use them commonly in small animals for heart disease, and we use them in horses for heart disease, too. Yeah, okay. That's And, and these can be are, – are they are they extremely expensive? I mean, are they hard to afford for somebody? I mean, you did mention that it can be – it can be difficult for some people to care for a horse that is experiencing heart failure. And, and I can imagine that, you know, for some people, you know, the, the expense associated with caring for a horse is already great to care for a horse that is not able to maybe do what you hope it would be able to do. Um, maybe that just becomes a kind of uh, the cost-benefit analysis right there. It becomes difficult um, for many people, I imagine. So with these medications, are they expensive in and of themselves? So um, the medications actually in and of themselves, it, they're fairly inexpensive. Um, both, of, both of them, um, at least the ones I've mentioned, are available as generics and are not on patent anymore. So they're fairly inexpensive medications. But in a horse, um, we're going to be giving much larger doses than we would, obviously, in a dog or a cat. So it might be 20 or 30 pills um, twice a day. And um, and that does increase the cost, certainly, over a dog or, or a cat. Um, I think that the two big factors that play in for many people is, for the average owner, um, they might only, I mean, they may not have a farm, so they're paying to board a horse. And if they're paying to board, they only have so much where they can spend for that. So if they take care of this older horse that has heart disease and maybe needs to be on medication and can't be ridden, it means that they can't ride at all. So for some people, that leads to the decision to euthanize the horse and, and get another one. Um, however, having said that, I've, I've had quite a few owners that have certainly, you know, they have their bond with the horse and they, they treat them. Um, I think in recent years, it's, it's become more common um, because up until, oh gosh, probably 10 years ago, Lasix was the primary diuretic that was used in heart failure for horses. So that had to be given by injection. And it really led to a, a matter of quality of life, both not only for the owner who had to inject the horse once or twice a day um, with this medication, as well as giving the oral medication by pills, but the horses, you know, at, at some point they don't love being poked that often. And, and it was required. I mean, they needed it in order to stay alive. So, I also would say that at that time when I was practicing, there were owners that started and it just got to the point that they said, you know, it's just not, I don't think it's fair to my horse to be having to give him injections this often. Yeah. So, um, so that led, I think, to some people needing to make a decision where they might not have in a small animal where everything, you know, certainly in the early stages can be given by pills. Now that we have this other medication that's fairly effect that actually is very effective and is is given as an oral medication, it's it's kind of opened up a lot more possibilities. And and I have had more people that have 
gone ahead and treated. And I think the, the whole quality of life issue is, is much better. So it really depends, I think, on do they have a farm where the horse can be retired and, um, and, and, and then the, the cost is not as high. It's, um, but boarding does become quite expensive. Yeah. Okay. That is a good place for us to take our next break. And I want to remind listeners that this is Animal Airwaves Live on WUFTFM. My guest today from the UF College of Veterinary Medicine is Dr. Meg Sleeper. We're talking about heart problems in horses, and we'll be back with a little bit more right after this. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Animal Airwaves Live here on WUFTFM, our weekly hour-long show devoted to the discussion of the health and welfare of animals. My guest today from the UF College of Veterinary Medicine is Dr. Meg Sleeper, and we're talking about cardiovascular disease in horses. I wonder, Dr. Sleeper, if there are ways to treat arrhythmias in horses uh, and whether or not um, there are options similar to what might be available for human beings. Um, I know that uh, some, you know, an arrhythmia, arrhythmia is, is not terribly uncommon in, in human beings, but, but there are treatments that are available. Yeah, so um, that, that's actually a, a really fabulous question because um, the most, I, I would say one of the most common arrhythmias that horses develop is also a very common arrhythmia in humans as, as humans get older. That's called atrial fibrillation. Um, Many people have heard of that because they have some family member who has had to deal with that. And um, and in horses, actually, happily, uh, some of the risk factors that occur when they are in atrial fibrillation are different from what people have to deal with. So in humans, when if we are in atrial fibrillation, our risk of developing a blood clot and then having a stroke is significantly higher than if we are not in atrial fibrillation. So often um, our doctor will try very hard to get us out of atrial fibrillation. In horses, they don't have that risk. So the the stroke risk is not there. However, um, horses that are pretty high-level performance horses, so definitely race horses, but even many jumpers and high-level dressage horses, um, they just can't compete successfully in atrial fibrillation because their heart rate gets too high when they're exercising. So we, if we're assessing a horse with this arrhythmia, atrial fibrillation, that's one of the, the things we consider is what is their job? Are they likely to be successful at their job if they stay in atrial fibrillation? And a way to test that is to do an exercise test where we actually have the horse perform their job, see what their heart rate and rhythm does during that work. And if their heart rate gets too high, the recommendation is is to convert them um, back to a normal rhythm or a sinus rhythm. Um, in, for example, that racehorse, we know they won't be able to be successful in atrial fibrillation. So the recommendation in a racehorse would always be to convert them. And then there are two basic options. One would be medically. So they're a couple different medications that have been shown to be one in, in particular is very effective at, at converting horses from atrial fibrillation to back to sinus rhythm. There are, are different scenarios that make it more or less likely to be effective, but 
it's a pretty straightforward process in, in many horses. Um, however, um, that medication does have a lot of associated side effects with it, and, and some of them are potentially life-threatening. So another method that is used in horses is something called transvenous um, electrical cardioversion. And what that means is that the, the heart is shocked out of atrial fibrillation and back to a sinus rhythm. That is also performed in humans. Um, in horses, they're so big, we have to do it with catheters that are placed in the heart rather than doing it on the chest surface. Um, but that's another procedure that is commonly performed in horses and is actually a really effective way to, to convert that rhythm. So actually very similar to, to what is done in humans. Is there an equivalent to like a horse pacemaker? Um, so horses have had pacemakers placed. Um, there have been, oh gosh, I know of about 20 horses that have probably had, that have had pacemakers over the years. Um, there is not a horse pacemaker, though. It's basically a human pacemaker that is, is um, implanted into the horse's heart. So it works very similarly, um, but it, it is not, there is not a, a company that makes pacemakers specifically for horses. Well, there is one that makes pacemakers specifically for dogs. Yeah, you know that's. I don't mean to to go too far afield here, but it's it's fascinating to me that that there would be um, a difference. And of course, you know, some of that difference could be that it just is more effective in dogs than it would be in horses. Um, you know, but an, another reason could potentially be that you know dogs are definitely uh, for for many many people members of the household and you know members of the family. Uh, horses, as we were discussing in an earlier segment, if they get to a stage where, well, they would need something like a pacemaker to survive, they their overall health may be compromised in such a way that uh, maybe it's just not very practical. I don't know. I'm speculating here. So I think there, there are probably multiple reasons why um, that, that there's such a big difference between the two species. But I, I would say the two biggest would be um, in horses, the, the the frequency of the arrhythmias that would require a pacemaker is really unusual. So um, we, I probably see a horse with a rhythm where the recommendation would be a pacemaker in a dog, for example, once every couple of years, whereas we see dogs that need pacemakers probably 40 to 50 times a year at UF alone. So it's it's very um, it's much more common in dogs. So that I think is one of the reasons why there's a market for it. Um, and then the other big reason is again safety. So pacemakers are super effective and they often fix the problem. So dogs, once the pacemakers implant it, they have a really good quality of life. It's a fairly um, straightforward procedure. We we rarely have um, adverse events that occur with it. There, that certainly, there's any. There's always a possibility when you're doing surgery, but it's a, a pretty, pretty low risk surgery. Um, so the, the the dog continues as a pet, and and actually, the heart rate can can vary. So they they're pretty normal. In horses, even though the risk of that pacemaker failing is very low. 
if the horse were ridden and it did fail, it could kill the rider. So there, I would say personally as a cardiologist, if I planted a pace, implanted a pacemaker in a horse, I would not feel comfortable saying, yep, you can go and do anything you want with your horse now. Um, so it, it's more of a, it would be a way to keep the horse happy and comfortable and alive and he'd be a great pasture potato, but I would not necessarily want the horse still in work. So, so that's another big issue that is very different in equine heart disease and, and medicine in general compared to small animals. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for indulging me uh, in that silly question. Now, uh, we're towards the end of the program here, but I wonder if just in a minute or so you can describe where you think you see the diagnosis and treatment of cardiovascular disease or um, you know, heart problems in horses in, say, 10 years or 15 years. Um, oh, my goodness. So I think that I hope that in 10 or 15 years, um, the technology will become more and more available so that more people um, that have a a murmur identified in their horse are able to get it evaluated. Because I I find it amazing how often we actually are seeing things when we look that we didn't necessarily expect. Because I would say up until probably mm, 15 or 20 years ago, the majority of horses that were examined with an echo were the higher-end performance horses. So the race horses that a murmur was heard, um, the show jumper, you know, they, it, there were certainly pets that got evaluated, but I, I think it just wasn't, it wasn't as common. And as we're looking more and more, we're identifying more disease that, than I think we really originally knew was out there. Um, and for example, I, I, as I said, I compete horses and I know people in that sport throughout the country and actually around the world because it's kind of a small <laughs> puddle um, or I should say small pool of, of uh, as far as performance horses go. And I'll hear from people, for example, in Montana, somebody heard a murmur in their horse and for them to have it evaluated, it's an eight hour drive with their horse. So it's, it's just not that available. And hopefully that gradually changes. And we can really start offering full, complete cardiac evaluations more easily. Well, that is something to hope for. I hope that uh, maybe the next time you and I talk about this, there'll have uh, been some advances that we can celebrate. Well, uh, Dr. Meg Sleeper from the UF College of Veterinary Medicine, thank you so much for talking with me today. I really appreciate your time. Well, thanks so much. I really enjoyed it. I want to say thank you as well to Sarah Carey and Amanda Buckley over at the UF College of Veterinary Medicine for their help with the program. And to you all for listening, I'm Dana Hill. I hope you'll join me next time for another episode of Animal Airwaves Live. Bye-bye. (music) 